0: All right, good morning once again. It's so good to see all of you. I hope you are doing well. For those of you online, thank you for joining us also. Well, we are continuing our way through our series on the Psalms. And we are in a section where we are looking at Psalms of lament, Psalms that invite us and draw us to God in a place of grief in a place of sadness, sometimes anguish, frustration, perhaps even anger. Last week, Pastor Donna started this by showing us the importance of being honest, how God invites us to, to, to draw near to Him, to be who we are, just the way we are. And today we're going to be looking at Psalms of petition. They are psalms that include and incorporate us coming before God and, in essence, asking God to do something for us, to tell him to do something that we want. Over my sabbatical, one of the things that Amber and I got to do more of because of the extra time was to watch a lot of high school girls' basketball games that Carly's a part of and... You know, we kind of got to go to home games, away games, driving all over the place, and um, from my observation, what I began to notice, and I could be wrong, is that the, the, um, the higher the level, the more intense everything seems to be. The more intense the games are, the more intense the players are, the more intense the coaches are, and of course, the more intense some of the parents <laughs> are, right? And, and you know... Right? On your fields and in your gyms, some of these parents. And one of the things that I found fascinating that um, kind of caught me off guard at first and would kind of cause me to cringe on the inside was all of the creative ways that some of these parents would unashamedly and unapologetically tell the other kids, in other words, not their kids, to pass the ball. For obvious reasons, right? the more times the other kids pass the ball, the more chances your kid has to, to shoot the ball. So a player may grab a rebound. If you're a basketball fan, I'm sorry, this might be boring. Right? But a player grabs the rebound, and as soon as she grabs the rebound, someone says, look up. Translation, somebody in front of you is open, pass her the ball player may have the ball on the, the perimeter on the wing and someone will say, skip. Translation, someone on the other side of the court is wide open, pass her the ball. A player may be driving towards the basket about to shoot a layup and someone will say, kick. Right? In other words, translation, I know you're about to get a layup, but somebody on the outside is open, pass her the ball. Right. Sometimes the, the player won't even have the ball but just as she's about to get the ball, someone will say, swing. right? in other words, as soon as you get the ball, don't even think about dribbling or don't even think about shooting. Pass the ball. And sometimes you'll just hear parents say, pass the ball. Now, technically speaking, passing the ball may be the smart thing to do. It may also be the right play in that moment. But for the most part, most parents do not appreciate When other parents tell their kids to pass the ball, right, there is a certain kind of etiquette, certain kind of parameters, a protocol of what I'm allowed to say to your kid and what you're allowed to say to my kid and and vice versa. I think a lot of times when we think about coming to God and telling him what we want, asking him to do something for us, we assume that there's a certain kind of, of etiquette of how we're allowed to to ask, of what we're allowed to feel, what we can say when we want to tell God what we want. Now, what we see in Scripture is that uh, we are invited, that God wants us to, to bring our petitions, our requests to Him, regardless of how big or how small. There's verses like Philippians 4, 6 that say, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Present your request to God, right? Anything and everything, bring it to God. Now, I think a lot of times there are certain kinds of requests, petitions that all refer to as kind of like one and done kind of requests, right? In other words, we ask God to do something. He either responds in a way that we want or he doesn't, and we just kind of, we just kind of move on, right? One and done kind of petitions. So, for instance, using kind of an obvious extreme example, you drive up to an event and the parking lot's crowded, you're like, dear God, help me find a spot. And all of a sudden, something just opens up right in the front, and you're like, thank you, Jesus. Or you got to park a mile away, and you walk. But it's kind of a one and done. You just kind of move on. Or maybe you're driving somewhere that's remotely far. God, in his sovereignty and wisdom, has created you with a tiny bladder. And all of a sudden, you, you got to go to the bathroom. And you're like, oh, God, give me the strength to hold this. (laughs) Either you make it, or you got to pull over on the side of the freeway and find a bush. Sorry if that's a little TMI. (laughs) Or maybe you got an exam in school that you're not quite prepared for. Maybe you got a job interview for a promotion, another job that you've been wanting, and you're just like, God, help me. And maybe you do well, maybe you don't. But you you make those requests and God either answers the way you want him to and you just move on. And there's nothing wrong with those kinds of requests. God says bring anything and everything to him. But the kinds of petitions that we're going to consider this morning, the kinds of requests that we're going to to wrestle with and, and grapple with are the kinds of petitions where we come to God in desperate need of his help. Yet God doesn't answer the way we expect him to. Times when we are mired in trouble. Times when we are overwhelmed with distress. Carrying a deep sense of perhaps grief and and anguish. Frustration and, and anger. Yet God is not responding. Or doesn't seem to be responding. As Pastor Nick alluded to this morning, perhaps it's fitting that we're looking at psalms of petition in light of what's happening in our world, what happened this past week, these past couple of weeks in our country. Shootings in Buffalo and Laguna Woods and Uvalde, Texas. People just shopping for groceries. People just fellowshipping in a church similar to this. Kids sitting in a classroom watching a movie what are we what do we say in times like this what are we allowed to say to god what are we allowed to feel and today we're going to look at psalm chapter 88 which many refer to as the darkest psalm in the psalter and in a few moments we'll see why so if you want to turn there psalm chapter 88 or it'll be up on uh, the screen It says, a song, a psalm of the sons of Korah for the director of music, according to Mahalath Leonath, a masculine of Heman the Ezraite. Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. I am overwhelmed with troubles and my life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, Lord, every day I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do their spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness in destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? But I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth, I have suffered and have been close to death. I have borne your terrors and am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long, they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken from me friend and neighbor Darkness is my closest friend. Now, we don't know much about this this author, Haman the Ezraite, family member, relative of the sons of Korah. Uh, Other than in 1 Chronicles, we were told that he's one of the prophet Samuel's grandsons, that he would go on to be one of King David's personal musicians. We don't know anything about his situation. We don't know anything about his context what's obvious that he's in desperate need of of God's help, right? He says things like, I am overwhelmed with troubles. My life draws near death. I am like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead like the slain who lie in the grave. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief, right? That he is struggling that he is overwhelmed with a sense of grief and anguish and loneliness, and he's coming to God, begging God, pleading with God to help, to intervene, to deliver. And perhaps what's most eye-opening, what's hard to grasp, is that he seems to have been in this situation and praying this for quite some time. He says, day and night... Every morning, every evening, I cry out to you, Lord. Verse 9, he says, I call to you, Lord. Every day I spread out my hands to you. From my youth, I have suffered. From my youth, I have suffered. In other words, God, the majority of my life, I have been suffering and I have been struggling. And from my youth, every morning and every evening I'm crying out to you. Every day I open my hands to you. And what's implied is that all this time God does not seem to be responding. God is not answering in the way that he wants God to answer. And you can see in in the tone and in his request a sense of frustration and, and anger that has developed over time towards God to the point where he begins to challenge God and even blame God for a situation. He says things like, you have put me in the lowest pit. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed, With all your waves, you have taken from me my closest friends. You have made me repulsive to them. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. You, you have taken from me friend and neighbor. And then he even, what seemingly is, he begins to even challenge God, taunt God, almost seems to to mock God. Look at verse 10 to 12 one more time, beginning in the middle. It says, do you show your wonders to the dead? Do their spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness in destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? In other words, what he's saying is, God, are you waiting for me to die and then answer me? In my grave, is that where you're going to show me your love and demonstrate your faithfulness? Is that when you're going to save me and deliver me? Is that when you want my spirit to rise up and praise you? And then in verse 18, it says, darkness is my closest friend. None of my family members are my closest friend. None of my friends are my closest friend. None of God's people are my closest friend. God isn't even my closest friend. He says darkness is my closest friend. Period. The end. End of song. Can you imagine if we had a, a Sunday morning service where we gathered here on a Sunday and we sang a song like this? Like, God, why do you reject us? why do you turn your face from us why do you not answer our prayers we're suffering we're struggling you allow this you brought this on we lament and we lift up our prayers we cry out may the lord bless you and keep you lord make his face to shine upon you and then we go grab some coffee some cookies we chit chat and then we go home like would would that be okay would it feel incomplete? Would it feel almost wrong? Disrespectful, irreverent, in light of who God is and all that he has done? Now, technically speaking, it wouldn't be every Sunday. It would just be a Sunday, maybe a couple of Sundays, amongst many other Sundays. But in the same way, this isn't the only psalm in the Psalter nor is it a reflection of all the other psalms. It's merely one psalm that is surrounded by many other psalms, which is surrounded by the rest of the scripture, the rest of of canon. And we know in other parts of the scriptures, what we're told is that God is always present, that he hears our prayers, that he is loving, he is good, he is righteous and Perfect, that he does not author evil or cause bad things to happen, that he's always working for the good of, of those who love him. We have stories like Joseph in Genesis, Job. We have Jesus on the cross where God uses suffering and evil to bring about good. We know those things, and those truths are important, and we have to understand those when we read Psalms like this. But at the same time, we can't allow those truths to dilute the truth and the relevance that we see in Psalms like this. And what we see is that there may be times, there will be times in our life when we will come before God in desperate need of his help, when we may be overwhelmed with grief and sadness, frustration and anger, and God will not respond. And the way we expect him to respond. And in those moments, it's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to to be confused. It's okay to be disappointed and distraught. It's okay to be angry with God. that God invites us to draw near to Him, to to make our requests known to Him, to lift up our petitions, and to be completely open and honest with, with what we feel, with who we are. Rather than in these spaces and in these seasons, What's important is not that we say everything that is biblically correct and everything that is true about God, but what's important is that we come before God and say what is true about us, what we desire, what we want, how we feel. You think about your, your closest relationships, right? the people that you are the closest to today, the ones you feel close with my guess is they aren't the people where every single interaction is cordial and polite, right? How are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm great. You look lovely today. No, you look great today. You're so smart. You're smarter, right? Like, I hope, you know, those are components of a good friendship. But my guess is the people that we're the closest with, it's not just those kinds of interactions. It's the kind of people we've had hard conversations with, difficult conversations with. People we've gone to deep and dark places together with. Times where we've interacted and the the ugly sides of us have have come to the surface. The fears, the worries, the insecurities, the selfishness, the pride, the anger. People who've seen us at our worst. People who've seen all of us and continue to love us. Accept us and embrace us for who we are. Just the way we are that we are see you've probably heard somewhere before right that god doesn't desire religion he desires relationship and sometimes i think we want our faith to be perfectly packaged to be neat and in in order to be structured and organized to be logical and predictable Yet relationships are are messy. Relationships can be confusing and hard and difficult, and it's the same when it comes to us and God. And Psalms are the proof of that. And this is why, this is why God is, is honored and he's glorified when we praise him and adore him and thank him and worship him. And it's also why he's honored and he's glorified when we lament to him. When we bring our frustrations, when we bring our grief and our sadness and our anger, when we bring ourselves to him with who we are just the way that we are. You see, this psalm begins with this in verse 1. It says, Lord, you are the God God. Who saves me. You are the God who saves me. And you see, everything he's about to say next, all of the confusion, the disappointment, the anger, and the frustration, it's all built on this foundation. You are the God who, who saves me. In other words, you are the only God. You are the only one who can help me. You are the only one who can save me. You are the only one who can. Deliver me. And yes, I'm frustrated. Yes, I'm confused. Yes, I'm angry. But every morning and every night, I come to you. And I talk to you. And I look to you. And I wait on you. And I'm doing my best to trust and place my trust on you. You are the God who who saves me. There's two things that I want to emphasize from this morning as we kind of wrap this sermon up. One is kind of straightforward. God desires our laments. God desires our petitions, our, our, our laments. He doesn't just tolerate it. He doesn't just put up with it. But he invites it. He welcomes it. He desires it. But in those moments when we are struggling, when we are in desperate need of his help, regardless of what we're feeling, even if we're confused and angry and disappointed and distraught, God desires for us to come to him. And thus if you're struggling today, if you are overcome with a sense of grief, if you find yourself in trouble, if you're frustrated, confused, angry with God, it's okay to be where you are. It's okay to stay where you are. It's okay to remain where you are until God decides to step in, to do something different, to help lead you out. And it's if, you, if that's you this morning, you don't have to feel bad for feeling the way you feel. You don't have to view it as somehow being immature. You don't have to feel rushed or hurried to, to feel something different, even though you may want to feel something different. You're simply invited to, to draw near to God, to bring your requests to Him to lift up your petitions, to be honest with with what you feel and to allow him to respond in the way that he desires to respond. So I believe that some of us here this morning need to be reminded that it's okay to lament, that God desires our laments. For others of us, the question that God has placed on my heart the question I think he wants us to consider is perhaps this. Why don't we lament more? Why don't we lament more? Now, if you're thinking, I lament a lot, well, point number one is for you. God desires your lament. It's okay to be where you are. But for others of us, myself included, why don't we lament more? In light of the world we live in? In light of all the brokenness and the evil and the pain and the suffering going on all around us? How is it so easy to go through the majority of our day or our life and not feel the need or the compulsion to come before God and pray these kinds of prayers? To have these kinds of requests? To experience this kind of anguish? Frustration. I mean, is it simply because we're just more blessed than everyone else? I think sometimes, I know for myself, because we have so much, it's so easy to try and address the world's problems, to fix things, to medicate our pain with things of the world, to rely on our talents and our abilities, to turn to things like money, and education, and career, and hobbies, politics, social media, assuming that those things will, will fix things. It's easy to insulate ourselves from a lot of the pain and the suffering going on around us. It's easy to focus on our inner circle. To focus on our activities our busyness and to keep a distance from those who are are hurting you know this past tuesday when the shooting in texas occurred i'm sure like all of you it's just shocked obviously just overwhelmed with grief confusion frustration anger so just imagine those kids and you Listen to those parents. And as I was just kind of reflecting on it, there was this voice that I could not shake. And the voice was saying, you know what? In a few days, you'll go back to normal. You'll stop feeling the grief. It happened when your friends passed away from COVID. Happened when George Floyd happened. Two years ago, Afghanistan, Ukraine, you feel emotional for a moment, and then it just goes away. Things go back to normal. And I just thought to myself, I don't want things to keep going back to normal. I don't know if that is actually normal. You see, what we have to remember is that this psalm right here All of the songs. It's not just a personal diary entry in someone talking to God, but these were songs that were meant to be sung together with God's people in community. Which means that when we come before God and we lament and we lift up our request and we express the frustration and the pain, it's not just for our struggles and our troubles, but it's for the struggles and the troubles and the pain and the suffering of those around us. And the question that I ask myself is, where are those people in my life? How closely am I living with them? How intentional am I in pursuing them and inviting them where their struggles become my struggle? Their pain becomes my pain. Their suffering becomes my suffering. So that when I come before God and I lament and I bring requests and I petition, it's not just for me, but it's for those around me. That together we bring those requests before God. Together we we look to God. Together we cry out to God. Seek God, search for God, wait on God, acknowledging and recognizing and declaring that he is God. As we close our time this morning, worship team is going to, uh, it's a new song, it's a new song, right? Lead us in a new song uh, called Highlands uh, by Hillsong. And the basic premise of the song is Regardless of where we are in life, whether we're in the highlands, the the mountaintops, when things are good and we're in the mood to praise and celebrate, or whether we are in the heartaches, or we're struggling, things are hard. Regardless of where we're at, together we'll come together and we will look to God. We will press forward searching for Him and seeking Him reminding ourselves of who he is and what he's done, declaring that he is God. He is the Lord who saves. So this morning, if you're ready to praise and celebrate and things are are well, then praise and worship and adore and lift up your praise and your thanksgiving. And if you're struggling, if you're hurting, if you're wrestling, use this time to, to sit before God to lift up your petitions to lament to him. To be who you are, just the way you are. Believing and trusting that God welcomes it. He desires it. He desires you, just the way you are. But together we will look to him and declare that he is God. He is the Lord who saves. Will you pray with me?